Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Present Show. There's nothing like the present, and with me, as always, Lele, thanks for being. Hey, hey. Ciao, Pat. Welcome, everyone. And today, we, our special guest is Nancy Siegel, who is the owner of Nancy Siegel Consulting, and she is an expert when it comes to mindfulness and working with teachers and students and younger individuals. So we're going to pick your brain today. You're going to share your story, give us some nice practices, and it'll be a great learning experience for everyone. Thanks so much for being with us, Nancy. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Yes. So let's start from you and mindfulness at this point. Where did it start? Uh, great question. <laughs> so I started my career in the early childhood classroom. And my favorite part about being in the classroom was the social-emotional learning piece. And uh, then, you know, I used to love to watch the children interact and help them develop and, their, uh, and, and interact with each other and learn how to communicate through the social-emotional lens. And then uh, a few years later, I discovered yoga, and then I was home. So I combined my passion for working with children, specifically through the social-emotional lens and yoga, and I became certified to teach kids yoga, which I did for about 15 years. And I was able to uh, piggyback on my strong educational background. I have a, a master's in educational leadership, mm -hmm. and uh, I was able to really... Uh, use the yoga component, specifically the mindfulness piece of yoga, to make a difference in children's lives. So I, uh, uh, while I was teaching kids yoga, I opened a yoga studio, and I developed a creative arts and yoga camp called Caddy Camp, C-A-D-D-Y, and that st stands for Circus, Art, Dance, Drama, and Yoga. Mm -hmm. And because of the yoga piece, really, it was the mindfulness piece, the mindfulness part of yoga. I was getting a lot of children in the camp with um, children who had ADHD. Mm -hmm. And we were seeing great results. And really, you know, it wasn't called mindfulness back then. Uh, but that's, you know, that's, that's really what it was. And we were helping them self-regulate and feel empowered to help themselves with their, the, the challenges that they faced um, by having ADHD. So much so that they had success in the camp, they took the, the tools that they learned, which were really mindfulness tools, they took those tools into their lives outside of camp, especially in their classrooms. And I felt like, well, if it's going into the classroom anyway, why don't I do it more formally? So I started to teach uh, teachers these tools and techniques that, the, that these children were finding very empowering and that were helping them. And uh, so, so I've been doing this for about 20 years, sharing mindfulness uh, techniques and uh, tools and uh, all kinds of expression of the, you know, the mindfulness, um, mindfulness education. And I've worked with probably now thousands of teachers and children. And it's just remarkable to see how wonderful, you know, how, what the changes are in their lives. That's a long-winded answer to your question. 
it, uh, it's a it's a long story and you summarized it very well yoga social learning emotional learning masters in education are you still learning absolutely i hope for the rest of my life <laughs> and that's uh, one of the things i stress in my teacher trainings that you know that we get this spark that's lit inside of us and we hopefully become lifelong continuous uh learners mm. and uh, from from your uh, learning of uh, like mindfulness as such is it only uh connected with the you know training someone or do you also have your own personal kind of relationship with uh uh, with with the practice or what with mindfulness and so on so how how does it play then in your own life yeah of course it has to it has to start here so i have to practice what i what i preach so mm. yes absolutely and and i highlight the word practice it's a practice every day for the rest of your life yes yes and i think this is super important when you're working with with kids or working with teachers because it's one thing to theoretically right talk about it or read a script but the the kids and the teachers can pick up really quickly if you know what you're talking about absolutely we are we are transparent mm. children in one of my trainings i once had a teacher when i opened it up for q and a at the end she said you know my principal really wants us to do this mindfulness thing uh but i don't really buy into it and i just fake it and i said please don't ever do that <laughs> uh, in front of the principal i said that and i said because we are transparent the kids will know if you if if you aren't buying into it then then don't do it oh, but and there is a way there's a way for everybody to find something in mindfulness that has resonance with them i was thinking how how long does it take or what are certain key ingredients for an individual to get to a point where they can practice and also teach any mm. tips for for teachers or people that have been practicing for a while and they kind of need that extra pull or push to to start practicing or preaching what they preach Yeah. they practice <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so that there are so many questions in that one question that you just asked so the first the first thing when when you said how long does it take i thought you were going to say how long do you have to practice before you feel like you're being mindful and and i would say one minute <laughs> because i i stress that i i actually wrote an article called mindfulness isn't just for mountaintop navel gazing because you know mindfulness is great when you have the luxury to climb a mountain and and sit there and you know ponder your navel but and and yeah and that's just that's wonderful if you can do that but most of us don't have that luxury and we're in the trenches and we're dealing with uh, you know educators in particular dealing with when not if when that kid presses your button or when the parent is telling you you're doing the wrong thing or you have standards you have to meet and you have to you you feel like you don't have enough time so these are uh 
these are the things that, you know, can help with all of that. Mindfulness can help with every single thing that I just mentioned that becomes challenging for an educator. And from maybe one of the most interesting thing from being a father, right? Uh, that I would like to, to ask you, like, you, of course, that you, you, you were you know, already kind of using the practice with who or kids that were even more in need of it. But if we get to a kind of a normal level, kids in general are really well, well distracted and they usually are uh, in a kind of continuous unresting uh, state, right? They always want to do something, keep moving. They, they can never stop and, except when they sleep, right? So they get <laughs> until they reach all the batteries and when they finish the batteries, then they just... <laughs> but during the time they actually don't decrease sit down and so, so how to what is the first thing you would you know recommend to a parent how to um you know start teaching them how to realize this slow down a bit and all the rest that is coming forward great great question i uh, i think that uh, you know, depending on the child's age is how you would communicate this to them. But I, I actually have some of my props here. So I'm going to pull out one and uh, use that as this is a really good entry point for any age. I've done this with ages three or even a little younger through high school. And it's this. So it's, it's called a Hoberman sphere, but I like to call it a breathing ball. So we just, I just take it out and we just breathe together. So let's, let's just do that. We'll take three breaths together. So we'll inhale, hold, and exhale. And again, inhale, hold, and exhale. And one more. So it's a it's a great visual, mm -hmm. and you know, any anybody and everybody can do this. And I have a funny story about this. You mentioned about parents. I was doing a parenting workshop in a school, and uh, right before I was ready to lead the first breathing exercise, a father raises his hand and he says, "Wait, wait, I have a question." He said, "You know, uh, we had we had done this, and then I was going into more advanced, you know, some more breathing exercises without any props." So he said, "Wait a minute, I have a question about the breathing ball. For example, hypothetically speaking, if I'm driving with my kids and I'm this close to opening the door and pushing them out because I can't take it anymore, can we pretend we have a breathing ball and I say to them, okay, everybody, let's use our breathing ball and breathe in and breathe out. I said, what a great idea. Please do that. Don't drop your kids on the side of the highway. So I thought that was a really great idea that once, once you have this visual in your, in your mind, you can almost pretend that it's there. So it's a, it's a great thing to do with, uh, with children, you know, if you have it. And if you don't have it, after you've taught it to them, say, okay, let's pretend we have our breathing ball. Mm -hmm. That's when, when, when you're introducing these, these things to children, especially in, in your own home as a parent, it's great to just start with one. Mm -hmm. Just start with one and have everybody become familiar with that. And then it becomes a, a common language. For example, you know, now I'm, I'm stressed or I, I need, as the parent, I need my breathing ball where you breathe with me. 
And kids really respond to that. So, so the answer to your question is the best way, I think, to start teaching these tools is to model them. Hmm. And would you feel, maybe I just, a question came, popped, like in itself, right? You know, a question asked themselves. Uh, the, would you put like more importance into a parent learning to, you know, control their own emotion or a kid learning to control their own emotion? So like in, in what, who, who sh where should I teach first mindfulness to the little ones? Or to the parents? Wow, it's a great question. Why does it have to be either or? Let's do them both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's great if, if parents and kids can learn them together. I've done workshops like that where the parents are learning the the these uh, things alongside their children, and that's very effective. But uh, if you're gonna pin me down and say, you know, where so but who's doing the teaching? If it's if the children are learning it in school then, uh, you know, then maybe they can come home and teach their parents. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's great if, if everybody is learning it together, mm -hmm. most effective that way. No, I was just thinking about the car, right? So one thing is like, you know, we breathe with the, the kids, right? But from the same thing, uh, you can say, okay, you uh, should not get into the, the moment to just throw them outside the car. <laughs> right, Because exactly. you should have your own inner peace right and Absolutely. you can get there even before doing the visual breathing right so yeah that's excellent point yeah so so yes it's very important to identify triggers that you're experiencing and be able to calm yourself down so you don't get to that point mm -hmm. right so you don't get um dysregulated so much that your behavior can be dangerous i mean it was funny he meant it as funny but it's mm -hmm. not funny Right. I mean, we we all know that, you know, and the kids are bickering and they are we there yet. I can't tell, you know, she looked at me. <laughs> you just get in the car. You're there in the car for two minutes. Are we there yet? You know, that kind of stuff really wears you down. But I agree with you, Lily, completely that parents do need to have their, their own ways to regulate so that they don't get to that point. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is it? Difficult, or have you encountered any situations trying to to teach this stuff? Talking about yoga, uh, yoga and mindfulness and emotions. Is there any skepticism or criticism or walls coming up when you're trying to introduce these these concepts? And what do you do to break those walls? It's a great question, and yes, a hundred percent. And I like to pride myself in. Uh, being able to, I call it pushback. I pride myself in responding to the pushback. And, you know, the biggest, the, the secret, I guess, to, to why I embrace that is because I really know the benefits of mindfulness. And I've seen so many success stories. And I know the science behind it, the brain science. And Uh, you know, this is not that new agey, crunchy granola stuff anymore. I mean, this, there's, this is evidence-based and um, there's lots of research to support this. So, so what, knowing all of that and feeling it deep in my heart that this makes a difference, I, meet, I try to meet people where they are. So, for example, if a child is having a meltdown, 
like a real meltdown or, you know, that child, that early childhood uh, little kid who comes to school and be, and something set him off. And by the time he gets to school, <laughs> right there, they're in that state already. That's not the time to say, okay, boys and girls, let's take a night. No, we got to bring the big guns in and, and really uh, meet them where they are and try to, you know, bring them down and calm them down. And the, you know, all the research out there, um, there, there's, there's so much science. There's um, in, in the field of psychology, in the field of psychiatry, and I could go on and on, neuroscience, cognitive neuroscience. There's so, so many disciplines are talking about how mindfulness can help children and parents and everybody. So the, uh, the, the first thing, again, is to meet them, you know, to understand where they are. And not and not try to fix them. When a child is in meltdown, it's there's they're not broken, right? They just need help, and they need to know that you're the loving, supportive adult who is going to help them. And mindfulness techniques can be those things that can help them, so that then the next time it happens, right? Because we all we all have the you know we all our emotions do this. You know we don't just stay happy all the time. Uh, much to the chagrin of our cultures, right? <laughs> now everybody wants us to be happy all the time, but that's not human nature. So to be able to ride those emotions and not get scared of them, because because the you have to feel like I have a, an inner toolbox to help myself when things get big and out of control. And the. Uh, is there a, a moment where anger is uh, is, a, is allowed? Let's say. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's a really good question. I I love that question so much because I'll, I'll tell you an anecdote. I have so many anecdotes. You give me a scenario, I probably have an anecdote for it. <laughs> uh, when I had my camp, the kids were you know like it camp is fun right so the energy is high mm -hmm. but it's sometimes that energy it gets high and it escalates especially when it's adhd energy i used to say that energy was like a cyclone you know it starts low and then it, and then it goes like this and it takes everything with it and and then the giggles come out and then it, you know they, then they're out of control so i had that in my camp a couple times, <laughs> but one of the times that it happened, there was just no way for them to really self-regulate without having the trusted adult, you know, the, who had created a loving, nurturing, safe environment, get angry at them and uh, angry at their behavior, like a big distinction. I wasn't mad at them. You know, I was angry that the situation had escalated. So I had everybody sit down. And I became the alpha. I stood up. So the kids were low. I was high. And I chose my words very carefully and loudly. I was there. I, you know, I was loud. And I said, and, it, and I said, you're not used to hearing me talk like this. I'm feeling angry right now. Mm. And then I would say, does anybody know why? And, you know, then we had a discussion about it. 
Um, so yeah, that, I think that, the, I mean, that was controlled anger and because I did my own work. I used my own calming techniques before I, I did that. So I think if we can sort of manipulate the, the anger, right, and, and use it in a positive way, which sounds kind of a, you know, contradictory, I think it can be effective. Mm-hmm. And you were very authentic. You, you were aware of what was going on. You were aware of their emotions, what you're experiencing, and you were just speaking the truth. You weren't trying to sugarcoat anything or manipulate them. You were just being very transparent and present when you weren't doing that. And that resonates with, with individuals on a subconscious level and and they connect and they kind of break away from those thoughts. Anything um, to look out for, you've been in this domain for, for many years. There's, there's probably been some trends, some developments. What's sort of the, the future or, current upcomings when it comes to to, to mindfulness in, in education and in the work that you're doing? Well, I can, I can tell you what I hope for. Um, it's, a, it's an uphill battle, and it's a long road ahead of us. But there are so many researchers out there who are doing great work and bringing, you know, bringing mindfulness to the forefront in a very respected way. So I'm hopeful but it's a very slow process. So my hope and dream is that uh, the, there's, there's also a huge movement for social-emotional learning in, um, in schools. And there, the connection between mindfulness and social-emotional learning is very powerful. So I'm hoping that all schools you know, that will jump on board from, from the early ages, you know, from early childhood, and will, will lay the foundation for the standards of what each school will uh, will adhere to, so meaning that that starting the, with the youngest class, which is usually in America, it's like th- it's three years old usually, so that the three year olds are taught about a breathing ball, taught about you know I have a whole bunch of things here, taught all of these uh, relatively easy to learn tools. And then they'll take them with them to the, when they're four and then five. And then so by the time the kids are 17, everybody in the school will have the same toolbox. And uh, I presented at a conference for C-level executives. It was a conference for women in negotiations. And I was on a, a panel for uh, our topic was internal negotiation. So I was presenting, you know, the, the benefits of mindfulness for C-level executives in, uh, in corporate America, okay? So, so somebody asked a question to one of my uh, fellow panelists. Uh, she's a partner in a law firm in New York City. And they said, so this was just for women. So she said, her question was, well, how do you handle, you know, when women are all together and, and the difficulties that women face when they're communicating and working together? How do you handle that? And she went on to give her answer. And I was laughing. I was, I was trying not to laugh, but I was smiling. And when she was done, I respectfully picked up my mic and I said, 400 women are staring at me. And I said, I have to tell you why I'm smiling. These are exactly the things that we try to inculcate, you know, in, with it, with the, into our classrooms in the early ages, in the early childhood classroom. We want them 
to be able to negotiate. We want them to be able to be in touch with what's going on for themselves so that they can feel empowered and have a voice. We want them to be able to then, in a respectful way, convey to one another. You know, all the things that this lawyer was saying, these are the things we try to promote. These are things we encourage. These are things we support. You know, and when the women start to bicker or whatever it is, you know, we try to help them and, and, and help them feel supported, all the things that we want to happen in the early childhood classroom. So that's my uh, long answer to what I hope can happen. And so that children's well-being will be taken as, uh, will be considered equally, if not more important, than their academic success. Uh, Tony Wagner at Harvard says that this is the first time in the field of education we don't know what we're preparing children for. So that's why I think mindfulness has such a huge impact right now, because we don't know where they're going to be when they, when they finish with us, you know, in school, when they're done with us. But we do know that wherever they are, if they have an inner resilience, if they have an inner, inner strength, they have strategies to help themselves with whatever they face that they will do, they will be much more successful than if they didn't have it. Mm -hmm. When's the Ted talk? When are you doing the Ted talk? <laughs> I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> do it with me. <laughs> what should the topic be? Yeah. Uh, maybe what uh, Tony, Tony Wagner was saying. Yeah. yeah. Something along those lines. Okay. Mm. That would be a nice talk. <laughs> Definitely. Um, how, what is the connection? Uh, you know, because I, I think one important thing is for doing and training mindfulness as well is to have a, a connection with the trust with the, the teacher or the parents or the team, whoever is, is bringing mindfulness. Right? So how is it connected mindfulness and the building trust with, with, with peers and people and kids. Mm, that's so beautiful. So it goes along with, you know, what we were saying before about meeting people where they are, but you know, you, you, you first have to trust yourself. You know, if you're teaching these tools, you have to, first you have to practice them. So you really do have to have your own practice, mm. which can just be five minutes or it can be, and you're brushing your teeth, you know, being mindful, feel the toothbrush, feel the temperature of the water, taste the toothpaste, something like that. But uh, for, so first, you know, Patrick, you said about being authentic. So you really do have to mean it. And then uh, you have to trust yourself with these things and then have that same sense of common humanity for anybody you're going to come across. So there's a mutual trust as a foundation. And that's why, like what we were talking about before with the pushback, that's why I pride myself in that because, because of, I feel like the, there's mutual respect, or at least I try to, you know, to, to impart that. Uh, and I think it's, it's foundational. You have to really start with a strong foundation and then build on that. And, and be authentic, like, like what you're saying before, Patrick, you know, and be transparent and be vulnerable and be okay with that and feel safe. So you have to, 
uh, you know, Brene Brown talks about this, uh, you know, vulnerability and shame, but one of the, I mean, everything she says is so profound, but I think the thing that was most profound that I heard her say was people have to earn your vulnerability. We can't just go out and be vulnerable to anybody. So safety is really important when we're talking about building trust. You have to, you have to feel safe with each other. And that de detect uh, when we are defensive or yeah. when, when we have a wall in front of us, right? Yeah. Mm. Well, practicing you know, what you preach, what you've been talking about. If, if you don't trust yourself fully or if you have your own little barriers or things going on that you haven't figured out yet, that, that will resonate in different moments. Yeah. People can pick that up. Yeah, and sometimes it's... You know, you have to choose it wisely, but sometimes it's okay to to acknowledge it. I presented um, recently, and somebody said, "Stop telling us we don't have enough time," because uh, you know, I there's so much that I could share, and sometimes schools will, will, you know, because of their own time constraints, have to give me a shorter period of time that I would like. So, you know, they said, "Stop saying that," and I said, "Yeah, you know what? You're right." You're right. I say that because there's really so much. But in our time, in the time that we have, I will take it very seriously that you will walk away with tools and techniques, for, first and foremost, for yourself to practice and then to be able to take them into your classroom or to use with your, your own children and or. Because <laughs> yeah, so sometimes that... That comes up a lot with teachers, like what you say, said, Lele, from the beginning about, you know, being a father. So when, when teachers are parents, you know, sometimes they are grappling with how they use the tools in the classroom as well as mm -hmm. how they use them at home. And clearly when they get home after a long day, they're tired. They're tired. Yeah. How are the teachers? <laughs> Yeah. Us all. Um, yeah. Amen, brother. <laughs> okay, so it's uh, it's time for um, mindful minute, as usually we do, right? Um, so, what would be the practice that you would perhaps recommend to our listeners um, that we can do in like one minute or so? That could be actually nice. Perhaps, maybe even that we, as parents, we could do with the, with our kids and and give okay. them something of mindfulness. Okay. So uh, I, like I said, I have a whole bunch of props, but I think probably what's more effective is to not use them, and uh, because you know not everybody would have these things. But I'm happy to show them if you mm -hmm. would like. Okay. So so what I would love to do with you is called layers of sound mm -hmm. and it comes from little flower yoga so i'll just guide you through it now okay okay all right so come to a comfortable seated position your feet are firmly planted on the floor and your spine is as straight as possible and i once had an educator say it's like that you have a mindful string pulling up your head so feel like your head is uh, is being pulled up by a string and 
I'm going to invite you soon, but not yet to close your eyes. And for some people that is difficult. So the, the, uh, before we get there, if that's difficult for you, I'm going to invite you to look forward and down. So when I, I might say look down, but it's not down because then we lose our mindful string. So it's just forward and down. So, so I'll guide you into that. Mm -hmm. So you're sitting up tall and now just look forward and down, noticing colors, patterns, textures, whatever you see in front of you. And when it feels right, invite your eyes to gently close. Now bring your awareness to the sounds you hear in the room. Bring your awareness to the sounds you hear outside of the room. Now stretch your hearing as far as it can go. And keeping your eyes closed, bring your awareness back to the sounds you hear outside of the room. And now bring your awareness back into the room, noticing the sounds you hear around you. And maybe this time, notice the sounds you hear inside of you. And when you're ready, keeping your gaze down, slowly invite your eyes to open and invite the room back in. When you're ready, lift your gaze. So how was that for you? <laughs> Very nice. Good. I... So it's actually incredible always to me that the uh, inner sounds are always there, right? Do we, we keep doing noises with our breath, with whatever we have around, right? And we actually are obviously ignoring them because it would be too much. But if you really pay attention, that there is much to, to hear. Yes. 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 So you could do this with any age and you can do it. I... I uh, sped it up a little bit for the sake of our purposes, but you can have longer pauses in between each segment, or you can make it shorter, much shorter for younger children. Yeah. And uh, actually kids, uh, I, I uh, like a lot to, to play with the sounds. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, and sometimes I need to be careful. I don't know. I have uh, for here... Uh, for example, a little uh, singing bowl, right? <laughs> and when yeah. I started to, to to try with with the little fellows, uh, they immediately wanted it and to start playing and sound doing sound. Yeah. Then you know, th then the practice becomes game toy, uh, and but still, I think the fact that they maybe even maybe telling them, okay, make now the sound yourself, but try to do the next one when the first one finishes completely. Oh, that's a great idea. It's still a part of, of practicing, right? 
Yeah. Here's another one. These are tingshas. Okay. So you can demo them and have them follow the sound. Mm -hmm. And in schools, I like to say, you know, they call them chimes. When you hear the chime, it's quiet time. But I, I do all kinds of games with them. Uh, yeah. Cool. Thank you so much, Nancy, for sharing with us. And thank you for being in the present show. Uh, I wish a lot of uh, more and more uh, people and little ones to hear uh, from your voice and your teachings. Definitely is um, life-changing to, you know, start so early with mindfulness. And, um, yeah, talk to you soon, perhaps in another show, and you will have uh, uh, more stories to tell us. Looking forward. I would love that. Thank and you so much. All the links to, to below, we will put all the links to follow it and reach out as well to your website, or if you'd like to, to know something more about Nancy, so feel free. And for all of you, thank you so much for being in the present show, and see you the next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.